Listener Production. Hi, I'm Helen McCabe, founder of Future Women, a club helping women to connect, learn and lead. Over my career, I've run teams inside newspapers, edited a magazine and launched my own business. This has meant building a team from scratch, leading through difficult times and managing the odd crisis. I've never had any leadership training because I thought you were either good at leading or you weren't. I thought being decisive was a key metric for success. I was wrong and it led me to make simple but avoidable mistakes. In this series, I'm doing what I should have done years ago, reaching out to people who I admire, who have also successfully run teams across all types of industries. So I can ask their advice on some of the common leadership challenges. One of my roles at FW is to set out the goals for the business and take the team with me. So some days, I find myself giving everyone a bit of a pep talk. Now, this is a skill, and some people are naturally brilliant at it, and others, like me, have to work at it. My guests today are Elise McCann and Lucy Durack, the co-founders of Hey Lemonade. Oh, and they are both big stars. With Lucy, think Neighbours and Dr. Doctor. In the case of Elise think a Helpman Award, and Mamma Mia. But their business, Hey Lemonade, is an app designed to give personal pep talks. In this chat, we discuss perfectionism, facing the critics, and the Minogue sisters. Elise McCann and Lucy Durack, welcome to the Future Women Leadership Series. It's such an interesting topic we're going to discuss, but I think perhaps we need to cover off on how you both got here. Can you give us a little bit of a rundown on how we came to be here today? Yeah, well, Lucy and I have been friends for probably 20 years now. We actually first met, this is such a fun (laughs) story, we first met in a dance class because Lucy and I have come from the entertainment background. So we've both been in the entertainment industry as performers, singers, writers, creators um, for many, many years. But we first met when we were both mere fetuses as um, in a dance class. I think you were literally a teenager. I was a teenager. Luce was in Mamma Mia, the musical, and I was ushering at the Lyric Theatre where her show was playing and I was watching her and all the cast perform every night and I was in awe because that's the job that I wanted to do. And so we ended up Cut talking. Cut to, that is the job she's doing right this second I'm as actually well. literally doing Mamma Mia right now. <laughs> but now I'm playing the mum. I'm playing Donna of all things. Um, so it's a real full circle moment. But yeah, we met in this dance class and we became friends. And in typical Lucy Durack style, she had said, I'd said, oh, you know, I, I, I know you're a performer. I know you're in Mamma Mia. I want to be a performer. And Lucy was like, let's have a coffee. And so we did and we became friends. And then we just kind of Know, work together in the entertainment industry. And Hey Lemonade, I'll let you tell Hey Lemonade, Luce, kind of was something that only evolved in the last few years, but we've actually, yeah, been really great mates yeah, for a long time. Yeah, exactly. We've been friends for a really long time. And basically, Hey Lemonade is a silver lining of COVID. <laughs> we, you know, in March 2020, I guess we were all dealt several lemons. And Elise was living in New York, working for Sarah Jessica Parker's company, Pretty Matches. And Elise's mum was diagnosed with cancer around the same time. So um, she's done super well. She's gone through treatment. She's doing really well. But Elise came home to help her mum get through that. And I was playing Princess Fiona in Shrek the Musical. And of course, the entertainment industry was completely decimated. And my husband also works in the entertainment industry. We had little kids. My son wasn't even a year old and my daughter was about four. And we didn't know how we were going to you know, 
make ends meet or anything. And Elise and I have, have been friends. We we're both living in Melbourne and we were allowed to go for our socially distanced walk and we were both finding things a bit stressful. And we'd said, oh, we, were, we both were on this Deepak Chopra 21 Days of Abundance meditation and we were on the meditation and wellness apps. And we were both just saying, oh, you know, I feel a bit like I'm not doing it right. And I was like, me too. Like I'm changing nappies and I'm, you know, I've got my ear pods in and I'm I'm vacuuming and I'm pretty sure that's not what Deepak wanted. And, you know, and we were on various other apps and we were saying, oh, I, I don't always relate to the voice. Me either. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes a bit woo-woo. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> and um, so we were like, okay, after the walk, we're like, I feel so much better. This is, you just really need like a, a quick chat with a friend to nip your small stress in the bud and kind of keep moving. And of course... And remember, it's normal. Like, yeah. Luce having challenge, saying that she was stressed about stuff and me saying, oh, I'm stressed about money or what if the industry doesn't come back? Just hearing someone else have the same things was yeah. so just affirming. Yeah, absolutely. And so we were like, oh, God, wouldn't this be good? Because if this existed in app form, because I'm not going to call Elise. You know, so often you feel overwhelmed at three o'clock in the morning or right before a big meeting or something and you're not going to call, necessarily call one of your close friends because you're like, oh, I don't want to bother them or oh, there's not enough time. So we're like, this must exist. So because we we're, we're all already on the apps, so we literally just searched. And we're yeah. like, it doesn't exist. And then we're like, well, let's make it. <laughs> <laughs> and so we naively set out to start a yeah stress and motivation management company that we didn't even realise we were doing. <laughs> And, uh, and we're glad that we didn't know how much work it was going to be because we wouldn't have done it otherwise. But uh, we are so glad. that was So that was 2020. In earnest, we probably started working a lot more full-time uh, 2021. And then... Yeah, that was November in 2020. So. Yeah. And so then we we built a little team around ourselves and we have we have, we had our director of marketing and our director of technology. So it's just the four of us. And we've made Hey Lemonade, which is, you know, our main goal is to... to sort of get a small stress and nip it in the bud before it becomes bigger and spirals out of control via our app, yeah. uh, which has now got hundreds of short talks, three to four minute talks that are all evidence-based, all written by our amazing Australian writers, people like Wesley Enoch and Marie Cardi and Ben Law, Michelle Law, uh, uh, Amy Tuning, so many people. I can't even, yeah. I shouldn't have started because we've got such beautiful writers. They're all overseen by our team of psychologists. We have clinical psychologists, uh, children's psychologists. Solution-focused coaching experts. Yeah. yeah, whole range of people. So everything goes through a bunch of different passes. And, and basically, like, the app is basically what we're trying to do with Hey Lemonade, really, is help people, bolster people around the world on whatever day. So if it's, you know, your best day, your worst day, your most in-between day, wherever it is you're coming from, if you listen to a short pep talk for three minutes, will help make your day better kind of thing and help get you on track to where you need to go. That's and right. And all of our talks have are recorded in at least three different voices. So you choose how you hear your support. So Jamila Rizvi is one of our voices. She's so great. Oh, so great. <laughs> and She was such a one-take wonder. Like Jamila yeah. would read a talk and it would be like, Perfect. Yeah. She, it was like exactly as you'd want to hear someone say it. It was yeah. so amazing. Like not surprising. No. But I am surprising. still trying to find the things she's not good at. <laughs> Never will, like, Helen. <laughs> like literally trying to find things she's not good at. Oh, God. Um, the producer's listening and laughing because Jamila came in and interviewed me for this podcast <gasps> for the FW fifth birthday. And she came away going, oh, my God, Jamila is so amazing. She did that in one take. <laughs> You're like, so, incredible. Yes, yeah. yes. So if you haven't listened to that episode, go and have a listen to it. Um, B, yeah. uh, Jamila Risby is the Deputy Managing um, Director of Future Women. Um, I want to come back to your acting and producing exploits because I don't think our listeners would forgive me if we don't go back to 
hearing a bit more about what you're doing. Um, but this is a leadership podcast. So as business owners, do you ever have to give your team a pep talk? Yeah, we actually do frequently. <laughs> and what does that look like? Look, honestly, a big part of that is, is probably making space like making space to hear people. And I'm going to be totally honest with you. I sometimes, I think sometimes I'm not the greatest manager or the greatest leader because I am, I have an incredible attention to detail and um, it's taken me some time to be able to learn to go, you know, do that positive sandwich and be like, oh, this is great. Let's work on this. This is also great. And I think that, you know, when you're time poor and when you're starting a small business or any kind of business, it's so easy to jump in and be like, great, great, great. Okay, but we need to do this. We need to do this. We need to do this. And you can get carried away with yourself. And I think that that was something that I had done. And so I, you know, had struggled, I think, with being a good leader. But now I'm, I, I hope, I've been really trying totally. to. I've been, I want to jump in and just say, the only reason that Elise is time poor is because she she's a bit of a Jamila. She can do everything. You know, Elise is great at tech. Her, her attention to detail on graphic design is impeccable, like second to none. Every time we meet with our lawyers, they try and give her a job because she's also a lawyer <laughs> and she's very good at it. And they're always like, wow, we don't have to do very much. She's sort of done. Like she's across everything and her brain is incredible. So she's, you know, she is multitasking. So often we'll be on a Zoom and she'll be engaged and answering questions and asking questions. And at the end of it, we'll get off and I'll think, I'll get like six emails and I think, when did you send them? Like during the Zoom. And it's, it's I don't know how she can compartmentalize, but she's a brilliant person. And, and but, but probably the most brilliant part is that exactly that, like Elise is constantly, she like, it was Elise's birthday recently and we did a, we got our team to write limericks, birthday limericks for her. And one of our team, who's our school's coordinator, Emily Cascarino said, Elise, always challenges you to be your best. And I think she challenges herself to be her best more than anybody, but she challenges you to be your best too. So she's constantly learning and making herself be like better and kinder. And, you know, there's... there's Trying, trying. Oh, you are, you're succeeding. She's she's an incredible person, an incredible brain. That's very So generous. smart. I, um, yeah. But cool. in terms of our team, I think that like, thank you, that was very generous, Luz. But I think that for me, definitely, it's been about like trying to make space to hear people, like really hear them and have and really acknowledge the wins, the small wins. And I think that, you know, Luce and I have both probably been quite good at, we're very resilient because we've come from an acting background. And so you're used to getting critique. You're used to um, getting rejected. You're used to those elements, which makes us quite adept at taking on all of those elements in a business perspective as well. But then you forget sometimes that with your teams, you have to also, you know, really just focus on the small wins and take a beat. And when you're in a business, it's easy to not give space and time for that. And so for us and with our team, I think we're learning to, or at least I definitely feel like I'm learning. Luce is like the curator of cheer. She's like perfect at, at always. <laughs> I've you know, got morale. so many shortcomings though. So she's, no, she's so great at morale. <laughs> but um, I think in terms of, yeah, pep talking the team, it's about making space to hear people's challenges and what's going on and where they're at and meeting them where they're at and then being able to, I guess, yeah, really hear people and then acknowledging the wins and then being able to be like really proactive in trying to circuit break again any of the things that aren't working so that we're making, we're streamlining things and making things better. Um, I feel like as well, part of our journey as business leaders for the first time has been 
delegation. Like I mm-hmm. think it's been really hard to, because originally it was just Elise and I and we were doing every single part of the business. You know, we still do, we, you know, we, we're checking all, we check all of the closed captions. Elise and I listen to every single talk multiple times. One of us is there in the recording room for every single recording where um, we do the final edits on all of the talks and we are so involved and we really know the tone of Hey Lemonade obviously better than anyone because it's come from us and we've really consciously built that. And that's also largely thank you to Lucy Cochran, our Director of Marketing, who's incredible and been asked us all the right questions. But as a result, as we have grown, I don't know about you, Helen, we've had to sort of think, you have to let oh, go. we have to give that over. That's actually not the best use of my time to run this business, to do the minute deep. Sometimes it is, but to sort of maybe do that as uh, you know, supervise that at the end once other people have kind of done their job. And they're obviously better at those things anyway because that's their specialty. Lucy, I want to hone in on the pep talk bit though. So if I think about my leadership and my role in the company, it's increasingly about setting that strategy vision and then intervening with the rah-rah, this is great, this is what we're going to do, this is where we're going. And the, uh, and the, and the Yeah, and the opposite of that, of course, is, all right, you lot, <laughs> you're going to too <laughs> many meetings, you're spending too long on doing stuff, and we need to get, you know, we, we need to get a move on, the tough love one. Do you ever literally go into the day going, I'm going to have to deliver one of those, one of those chats today? And if so, how do you deliver it? Look, I think it's it's more of like a conversation. And that's what I, I feel like it's more usually been more of a conversation with Elise and I, like, all right, what are we focusing on? And how do we, because we do have lots, of, uh, you know, I have a lot of ideas and I can get a bit too like, okay, what are we doing for the future? Okay, wouldn't this be amazing? Wouldn't this be amazing? It's like, okay, how are we actually going to make revenue to get from A to B, to be able to do those things down the track? So I think it's probably more me giving my self the pep talk to kind of rein it in a bit. I would argue though to your question as well, Helen, that I think Luce and I, sometimes we probably have slightly split that role. So Luce is really great at coming in and she'll often be the person that's like, guys, I just want to say everyone is doing an amazing job. Thank you for working so hard at this. Like She's really the rah-rah, I am your biggest cheerleader, and she is. And I just, then I tend to do the tough love a bit more. So I think we've actually split the role a little bit, but we probably need to shift in a little bit of both so that we operate as a team better. So Elise, tell me how you do that. Like if you, if you have decided that some tough love or some hard conversations need to be had, how do you go about it? Look, on bad days, we probably just go, I'd probably go at it like a bull in a china shop and just go, guys, this isn't working. We need to do blah, blah, blah. But now, like I think the process that we try and do now is Luce and I will normally always circle back together and we'll make sure that we're on the same page about what is the needs. And then we will try and either have a conversation or we'll do an email and we tend to always filter them through each other. So that, And that's the blessing of having a partner, a business partner. And we tend to try and pose the question of, okay, so this is what we're feeling. What are you feeling? And what is your dream scenario? So we actually are in a situation right now where we are needing we need to move faster. And unfortunately, without the size of our team, that's not possible. So we either need um, some of our team members to give us more hours or we need to engage someone else. And it's not really possible for these two team members to give us more hours because they actually have other jobs as well. They're working with us part-time. And so we're, we're going to have a, we've got a conversation tomorrow where we're going to have to go in and say, okay, so this is what the business needs and and we know that you're stressed and as a result of you not having enough time, errors get made and a whole range of things happen because 
Everyone's constantly feeling rushed and pressured and that's not good for anyone. So what's the dream scenario here? Would you like to do more hours? Would you like us to bring someone else in? If they are, what does that look like for you? And so we're trying to, we're trying, and we don't know if this will work, but we're trying to approach each of those scenarios with what would your dream world look like knowing that this is the outcome that we need to achieve so then we can hopefully come at it together. And we've had to do a similar thing. We've done a similar thing with our marketing team because we need support in other areas that our director of marketing, that's not their natural area or there's just not enough hours for them to do everything. So we're trying this approach of making it a collaborative effort really. So being really honest about the issue, being really honest where we're maybe failing and or not failing, but like, you know. Yeah, well, where we've got challenges, I guess. And then trying to make it a conversation so that... And kind of making it a collaborative problem-solving session rather than it being you're not doing this, which it, it, it inevitably is, you know, there's so many facets to any kind of challenge, I guess. And so inevitably, it's, it's important, I think, always to f- sort of figure out where are you coming from? Like, w- what are the parameters that have brought you to this point? Whether if, if something isn't working 100% and how can we shift that? And um, yeah, so I think so long as it sort of, we sort of stay open to it and don't get personal, mm. um, it has, in all but one situation, we've just managed to always keep working together and sort of just shift people's roles so that everyone's happy. You've kind of covered this in in your answers, but I'm going to ask you specifically, Lucy, what are you good at as a leader? I think I am good at seeing what people are good at and reminding them of that Mm. and celebrating that. And and genuinely, I, I do just feel really lucky to be around these incredible brains and incredible minds and working in this completely new zone. I am, I'm good at spelling and grammar. (laughs) <laughs> but Lucy's also really, Lucy's a connector. Lucy's really great. I don't know, I know you didn't ask me this, Helen, so I'm probably breaking the rules by jumping in. But Lucy's also a really amazing connector. Like she somehow, you'll talk about anything. She'll be like, you know what? My dad's cousin worked here with their best friend who was this person. And there's, there, she just has these, you know, amazing like inner networks. And I've always thought that I had quite a large network, but, but Lucy's next level. Lucy, I'm going to ban you from answering this question. Elise, what are you good at as a leader? <laughs> um, I am... I've got so many things to say. You can't. I want to hear so, from Elise. Yeah. Look, what I'm good at, I, um, I do, I am across a lot of things. I, I used to be a real perfectionist. I think that was a blessing and a curse because it means I was always pushing to be better. But the curse being that you can never be perfect. But I've kind of realized now I'm maybe a bit more rather than like a marathon runner or a sprinter, I'm a bit more of one of those pentathletes that are good at lots of things, but maybe not the best at each one of them. But I'm good at lots of things and I have a really great brain for detail. And so I am across everything. So if there's anyone from any department or any area that's like, oh, what is this or what do I do or where are we with this? I generally have the answer. So I would say that I'm good at being a, a body of knowledge or, and, and of, for the team, which I hope maybe is a useful leadership element. And I'm quick. So again, I don't know if these are leadership skills. These are probably just no, individual skills. leadership. Yeah, it's a good I'm, answer. I'm, I'm quick dying. in that. <laughs> just wants to answer I'm, the question for you. <laughs> yeah, she does. Um, no, I, um, I retain things really quickly and my brain works quickly. So if we're in a meeting or we're in a pitch or we're in something, I'm able to, I'm able to compute things together and probably be able to generate the answer because I have a good understanding of our business from across all avenues. So I generally will be able to 
answer something. I don't know. All right. I'm going to come back to you with a key question about that. But what I want to do is ask Lucy about being a connector and networking. If you're good at it, tell me, I had an hour-long webinar on this yesterday where I was asked about this skill. What are your tips for being good at that? I think it probably is, I love to look for the good in people. And so like I can all, I, I think I'm quite good at finding what people's strengths are. And then I get really excited about those and kind of want to be around them. So I kind of think it happens a bit organically because I've always been, my mum and dad were always like very supportive. And when they'd always say, you know, you should, you should call that person or email that person and just tell them what you like. Like I, I do it in, in every part of my life. I tried to give the police a compliment the other day because somebody had done such a good job of traffic direction in South Melbourne. And I was like, that guy was amazing. Anyway, I called the police. They just did not know what to do with the compliment. In the end, I just got farmed. I know people. someone who actually did that as well on exactly the same set of circumstances. He actually it was contacted- the same day. No, it was in it was it was in Sydney, but uh, I'm just saying that's a thing. Obviously, that's a thing. You obviously, well, good they need happening. It's yeah. true, and but and and listener, you're, you're a good. I would say it's listening too. Like you listen to people. Sorry, I shouldn't jump in there to this question. Well, actually, I <laughs> so do. You think, then can relay back. I do think that part of what I've learned working with Elise as well. When we first started working together, I had been used to being the person, like because I played Elwood's in Legally Blonde or Glinda in Wicked. I would be the one, and I'd often be somebody who was fairly confident, so I was happy to be a spokesperson. But Elise is so quick, and she's often the one that comes in. And I've learned to kind of not take a back seat, but be okay with being the one that isn't on the front foot of everything and just listening and kind of taking it in and reading every single email and not being the one that necessarily is the, like, Elise is so, I can't, I can't beat her. I can't be quicker than her, and I can't, I can't get to an email as quickly as she can necessarily. But I also think I prefer being supportive, kind of co-leader, co-pilot. That's how I like, I like that more in musical theatre even. Like I much prefer taking my bow as Glinda because I'm doing it with Elphaba rather than Elwood's as the star. I feel uncomfortable in that situation. I would prefer to be part of a team. I love being part of a team and collaborating is like my favourite thing to do. You know, I think that I've, I've, I'm constantly learning to try to be a better team member and, and that's different with every single person and every single team and sort of thinking, where can I, <laughs> I play netball, where can I be the person who's here if you need? How can I support, you know, my, my biggest fear, I guess, is letting people down. And so I think how can I, <laughs> the positive version of that is how can I support and how can I be the best version of and what, and, and I have had to think about when you said before, what, what am I good at? For, I think the first part of our journey, I felt guilty that I wasn't quick enough or smart enough because Elise is so quick and so smart. But I've tried to think, no, I'm good at, you know, I do come up with good ideas mm. and I'm quite good at future, thinking of future things. And as soon as you say to somebody, to come back to your original question of networking, is people are generally okay if you say, can I take you for a 20-minute coffee? I'm really interested in something that you're doing. And if you are genuinely interested in that, then they're usually quite happy to have a a chat with you for 20 minutes. And then you've made that face-to-face connection or Zoom connection or phone conversation or even just an email. I I am a great believer of telling people what you think is great about them and then wanting to learn more about that. I'm really interested in that. So... Can I come back to you, Elise, then, and talk a bit more about perfectionism? Because I think there is a, a huge interest in this as a challenge, particularly for young women and, and listeners of this podcast. How have you 
come to terms with that and managed it? Look, honestly, for me, a big part of it is understanding where it came from. And I think that there has always been a part of me that wanted to, you know, that has taken pride in doing things well and like loose, not wanted to let people down. But when I was little also, you know, I think I, I was trying to, yeah, figure out how I could be of use. And so I would try lots of things, but then, yeah, I didn't want to let anyone down. And I thought, oh, I need to, I need to be better. I need to be better. And for a really long time, I, I think probably wrapped so much of my identity up in being the person that has all the answers, in being the person that can do everything, in being the person that is efficient and whatever it might be. And it was a part of my identity. And so I would feel this great sense of pressure of if I'm not that, who am I and what do I offer the world? And I think it's partially through therapy, partially through aging, partially through reflection and being, to be honest, really honest about who do I want to be? What is the, who do I want to be as a person? How do I want to move through this world? And we've had these conversations about, hey, lemonade, like I will work a lot of hours, you know, because I feel a great responsibility because the company is Lucy and mine. I'm like, I can't ask someone to work on the weekend or we have a deadline due. So who's going to do it? Well, then I'll do it because I don't want to burden someone else with that and someone has to do it. So I, w- I would just tend to do all these things. And a point came where I was like, I actually don't want to do all of these things. So I actually have to let go a little bit. And so allowing myself to let go because I don't want to be that person that is doing everything. I don't want to be the person that feels pressured or stressed by not being enough. So yeah, it was really about reflecting on what do I want my life to look like? Who do I want to be as a person? Who do I want to be as a leader? Like I had a really tough conversation with one of our team members last week because they hadn't been as proactive or as, um, you know, I guess doing as much work and they weren't putting as much attention to detail in their work because they had thought, they were like, look, Elise is going to review it and pick something up anyway. So why am I putting in this level? And I don't want that for them. I don't want that for me. The, The circular effect of that is that by them feeling like, well, I'm just going to pick them up on something, Therefore, they're not going to put the effort in. It means that then when I do review it, of course, I find a bunch of things that then haven't been done because the same, you know, it becomes its own circular problem. And so we kind of had a conversation about that. And I had to just take a beat and go, you know, this is confronting and this, and I don't ever want someone to feel like that. And like, like you know, I'm going to just pick them up on something. And so therefore they can't, you know, they're not putting in their best effort because they feel like it's not going to be enough. I don't like feeling like I'm not enough. So actually, I just need to own that. I need to apologize that I've made them feel that way. And I need to make more space for that person to be able to now step up and allow them to, you know, do their best level of work because that's what I would want for me. So in terms of the perfectionism, it's it's a constant, it's a constant thing, I think. It's like anything in life, you know. It was something that was ingrained in me, I think, when I was younger because I really felt the need to have to keep my family together, to keep things moving in my household. And so, yeah, it's something I've just had to kind of acknowledge. Do you, in, do you think there's a gender overlay on this? At least it sounds to me like 100%, there is. 100%. 100%. Yeah. And this, you know, this is a leadership podcast. It's, you know, we don't probably don't need to get into it, but I'll, but I'll share it with you anyway. And you can choose whether you want to put it in or not. But my dad left when I was younger and my mum was unwell. She found that really challenging. And she was, you know, really kind of not able to function very well. And so I kind of had to step up and take hold of the house. And it was, you know, and as my mum was unpacking what was going on for her, a lot of the language was also around, you know, I wasn't enough or I wasn't loved anymore. I didn't do enough. And so that kind of you, you osmosis that as well, like that 
as women, we have to do more. We have to do enough. We have to, not just enough, but more so that we are enough kind of thing in all levels of work, home, etc. And meanwhile, my mum was, you know, putting herself through her master's, working full-time, running the catering business, volunteering at the school. You know, the house was always a mess because she was doing all these other things, but she was doing so much, but she felt like it wasn't enough. And therefore, I felt like, oh, if that's not enough, I need to do more. So I do think there is an element, a gendered element of this ingrained load that we feel like we have to carry. And um, I know that, you know, I don't have children yet, but Luce and other members of our team have children. And I know that they feel this great sense of pressure around how to be a good mom, how to be present in my children's lives. How do I also run a business? How do I, you know, there's so much load and pressure we put on ourselves. And so for me, it's, you know, coming back to the original question, I frequently drop back into perfectionism and then have to go, I don't want to be this person. This isn't, a, this isn't a fun way to live. And it's also okay to not be that. And I still have value in the world if I'm not perfect. And such an interesting, sorry to interrupt, but it's such an interesting answer. And, um, and thank you for sharing all of that. I, um, but I, I, I can hear in both of you the leadership skills and the management style of women who are used to being perfect and good at everything. And I, I was thinking when one of those answers, like I don't think any man would beat themselves up quite as much uh, about, you know, being collaborative and making sure that everyone's happy. And, and I, um, I say that as someone who spends an awful lot of time on those issues myself. Uh, I want to come to you, Lucy, and ask you about something else you touched on, you both touched on earlier in the interview, and that is you've got good at being critiqued. So as little girls, you're performers, you are now both incredibly well-known Australian performers and, and many awards and, and all the rest. So how do you get good at being critiqued and reviewed? It must take a lot out of you. Partly, I need, think you need to think, okay, everybody's going to have an opinion. So who, whose opinion do I actually want to listen to and whose imp- opinion isn't important? So if you're working in a musical, the director's opinion important, the producer's opinion is important, your co- the people that you're working with closely, that, that's all important. Somebody who's a critic, their opinion isn't actually that important to me doing my best job. In fact, it's often detrimental if it's not positive. So you have to put some boundaries in with who it is that you're going to listen to. And, and obviously like my mum and dad and my husband and my close friends, their opinions are important to me as a human being or as a business person. That's important. So I guess in your different spheres, I think it's really important to think whose opinions are important and then kind of work on tuning out however you can the other opinions because they, they don't really matter and, and they can that, that's when it can get dark and, and dangerous, I think. And so as a result, I remember hearing that Pamela Rabe, the amazing Pamela Rabe, didn't read reviews. And then um, when I was about 23, I heard that and I thought, I'm not going to read reviews. Oh my gosh. Because I remember her saying, if you read the good ones then and take them on, then you're going to read the bad ones. And you're going to have to take them on as well. So I haven't read a review. Every now and again, somebody would tag me in a review. Inevitably, it's a, re- a review that actually isn't that nice anyway. <laughs> I once got asked, What's I once got tagged in. Somebody tagged me in a review when I was in Legally Blonde and it said something like, the fact that I wasn't as good a dancer as the other girls made me relatable or like something. Oh, so like, negative. I was like, Great. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is true. I'm not as good a dancer. They were amazing dancers and I was kind of just getting by. I'm a smart mover. 
Um, <laughs> but I, um, That's a technical term that we use in the industry. <laughs> it's a smart move. <laughs> but it, I, I think that that is a really important part of it. And obviously, obviously, like what my children think of me is really important. And really, at the end of the day, that they're they're probably the most important ones. Uh, and so that can help alleviate the work ones because even though the work ones are very important into my job, and like I say, it's sort of the tension between that and the fact that my kind of probably driving negative driving force is that I don't want to let anyone down. And part of what I was saying before, I think, is that, you know, I, I usually am the person who's the best at getting back to people or writing things up or I'm quite proactive in and um, studious. And so I think that as soon as the, the way of sort of getting out of that for me is like, oh, have I spent enough time with my children today? And, um, you know, the tension between that I, I struggle with. Um, we would, Elise and I were just on a... <laughs> of a Zoom with quite an important client and I could see my daughter's school was calling me and I was like, this is quite an important pitch. I have to get back to them. It's probably nothing. And then I was like, maybe it isn't nothing. Oh, I should. <laughs> and so then I was like, be right back. Quickly called. Anyway, she had hay fever. It was fine. Nothing had happened. <laughs> but I was, you know, there's that constant, like, what if something really bad do? And I did, I was on a meeting. You know, there's that constant. And so. can I add to that, Helen? Like, I think there's something that Luce and I have always talked about as well is in terms of um, getting better at taking critique and being in an industry where that is so, it, it's obviously, it happens when you get the job and when you are performing the job, it happens nightly, it happens daily. But it's also just even in the process of getting a job. And I think like something that we often talk about is you're choosing to put yourself in this arena. So whatever arena you're putting yourself in where there is critique involved, that's a choice. And if that's something that you are not able to, if after a period of time you're like, you know what, I can't take this anymore or I don't, I don't want to have this as part of my life, that is okay. And you can move yourself from that arena. Like you don't have to do that job. We are choosing to do this job, which is a highly critical job. People can actively discriminate against us based on how we look in our industry. And, um, and you know, if you get one out of every 10 jobs you go for, you're doing amazingly. Mm. Like you're frequently told no, and it does feel inherently personal. But you have to kind of go, so you have to reshape how you look at it and go, one, I'm choosing to be here. So therefore, that's the first thing. So I have to be able to take, I have to come along with this journey. And two, you have to shift the goalposts of saying, as Lou said, what's, what's important here? Have I done the best I can on this day? I have. Well, that's enough. That's all I can control. Everything else is out of your control. You know, we've also talked about how it's so easy in our industry for people to get competitive internally about, someone else that gets the role that they were up for. But it's no one's choice. Like if Luce and I went for the same role, all we can do is do our very best to go for that role and someone else is choosing. So there's no reason I should be annoyed at Lucy or I should get frustrated or vice versa because it's not her choice. She's just doing the best job she can and that's what I'm doing. And so we have to remember that it's like, you know, these kinds of sense of comp competition and sense of like critique that happen isn't actually often about you or have... Isn't, it's not in your control, so therefore you can't put your mind to it. You can't spend, like, let it occupy too much of your space. We actually have a pep talk for when you didn't get the job. And part of the reason we have that pep talk is because I didn't get a, quite a big job that mm. I was going for. And I was really ashamed about it and sad about it. And at the time, I felt really sad about it. But we've got this beautiful pep talk now. And it's just saying, you know, there's there's so much that goes into And, you know, you have, I, I like to think that everybody's got these amazing plans and stories for their life whether it's a faith-based thing or whether it's just a life-based thing. And, you know, you never know which part of the plan not going right is actually the opportunity for something mm. else and all of those kind of cliche things. But I think the other thing that has been really 
helpful as I've gotten older is just knowing like so many things. Okay, yes, there are some things when you are ill, mentally ill, with you have mental ill health, you don't have the same choices available to you. But if you're not going through that specifically at the time, you can reframe things. And that's kind of part of what we do with Hey Lemonade is just shift your perspective on things. And so every time you start thinking, oh, I suck because I didn't do this or that person said that thing about me. And inevitably, you're going to remember the thing that the mean thing somebody said rather than the like 10 nice things somebody said for some reason. Where we're, we're sort of wired like that. So you have to just keep that's what I like about Hey Lemonade. And even though we've listened to these talks ourselves like literally thousands of times, it's like, I feel like Dory sometimes. I feel like sometimes I'm like, oh yeah, this this will pass. You know, it's like, it's, it's we constantly have to be reminded as humans that these hard things we're going through aren't the reality forever. This is just a moment that's happening right now, but it, they're going to pass. And the same with crit- critique. And, and I think choosing who you surround yourself mm-hmm. with as well is really important to your own sort of self-talk, I guess as well. And um, yeah, and knowing that if there are people around who aren't helping you and making you feel bad or accounts that you're following on social media that make you feel bad, you have got the choice, even though it doesn't feel like it sometimes, to just unfollow or not go and see those people and kind of just phase them out of your life if they're if they're not being good for your mental health and, and happiness. And it's, it's really hard, like, you know, to be your own cheerleader, but you do have to kind of choose to back yourself in whatever you're doing, you know? And I remember someone said to me, and I love this quote, they're like, if you can believe in Santa Claus for the first eight years of your life, you can believe in yourself for like 20 minutes. So, you know, I always come back to that when I'm feeling doubting myself or I'm feeling, I'll be like, you know what? Just give yourself some slack and just, you know, get behind yourself for a second. And if you don't, and, you know, we have this in one of the talks as well. Like if you don't feel like you've got enough self-resilience or strength at this time, then find a friend or a loved one or someone else that you know loves and adores you and borrow their belief in you for a brief moment well, until yeah, you kind of can restore yours. That was your grandma, wasn't it? Yeah. Lisa's grandma used to say that. Like if you don't have faith in yourself, you don't believe in yourself, borrow my belief. I so we can all borrow Elisa's grandma's belief. Yeah. Can I just tell you who did say that? Who? It was because it was quite kind of cool. I was backstage at a concert. The belief one or the Santa Claus the one? The Santa Claus oh. one. I was backstage at a concert with Danny Minogue and it was Kylie said it to Danny. (gasps) No Kylie said, come on, because Danny was nervous about this. She was singing live with the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra and she was a bit nervous and Kylie said that exact quote, if you you can believe in Santa, you can believe in yourself to go out there and and sing that song. And she was amazing. Like Danny Minogue just... I feel I feel like there's a whole other story, backstory in their in their childhood about that, right? So yeah. you know, like that Carly was like, seriously, Danny, Santa doesn't exist. <laughs> seriously, <laughs> there must be. I really want to see a window into that. <laughs> yeah, me too. But isn't it nice to think of them that as grown-up women, sisters, that supportive of each other? Now that was only last year. I cannot imagine what their lives have been like. Um, yeah, let's talk about the juggle. You've got. I mean, it's a really interesting career. Um, that you've both carved with your uh, working on stage and writing and producing and having both done law degrees. You both did law degrees, right? Yes. I didn't finish mine, but at least you didn't finish mine. Ah, gotcha. <laughs> um, uh, to now being running a business and, and building a business, how do you divide your time? What's the juggle and, and how do you negotiate it with one another? Like, I've just got a great new movie I'm going to go and star in. Do you mind just running a business while I'm away? How does, how does it work? It's a really great question. It's a really good question. <laughs> and then I feel like we 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 set out we set out for this to be a side hustle and it's become a full-time job. But we never wanted to stop we didn't ever want to stop working in the entertainment industry because we love it. Literally. So we didn't want to stop each other from that either because I know that in Elisa's heart she just loves getting up there and playing Donna in Mamma Mia, the big star in Mel Street character in Mamma Mia. 
And so that's that's an important part, I think, of our kind of goal for the business that we both can do that. And our structure, like we put it into when we first sat down and we put on paper like what we wanted for this business, one of the things we said was we we pledge to create space to support each other in our performance careers alongside this. We will find a way. And if that means everyone else in the company needs to have more structure in their the way their roles fill, that's what that has to happen because we've created this and we have to be able to do this. And and it's useful. Elise and I having the it connections is. that we do have in within the entertainment industry, being in the entertainment industry affords us, you know, to meet with wonderful people from our different walks of life. You know, we've met our investors through that. We've met various business mentors through that. We've met people in all different walks of do life. Publicity for the company through that. Like, yeah. you know, it's a real... So it is useful to the company is what kind of feeds back in. So it's not sort of a separate, completely separate line. Um, so I think that that, that helps because it makes it feel like we're not just going off and selfishly doing something separate. And I think that we would love ultimately, and correct me if I'm wrong, Lou, but I think ultimately we'd love to be able to go, cool, I've got this massive thing right now. I'm going to take the four weeks or five weeks of rehearsals off Hey Lemonade and be able to just focus on the job of that I'm doing shooting or I'm rehearsing and then, you know, come back in. Sounds amazing. We don't have that... Um, <laughs> We don't have that luxury right now just because we're still in early stages and we just don't have, a, you know, a big enough team to be able to do that. So, you know, we just juggle literally, like I probably am working 80 hours a week at the moment. Like I do 38, 39 hours of shows plus publicity for Mamma Mia. And then every Monday, Tuesday, all day I'm working. I work before the matinee on Wednesday in between shows. I work Thursday, Friday. I often, or if I can't do some of those days because of something else, like I didn't really work Tuesday this week because I was looking at houses because I'm trying to buy an apartment. (laughs) So I was then, I will then work, you know, I work Saturday morning and Saturday afternoon or Sunday. So you just, we just work around the clock basically. It was actually really helpful. Earlier in the year, I was doing a musical at the same time as Lisa because Lisa had been doing Mamma Mia for a few months. And I did a show in Melbourne called Midnight. And Partly was useful because I wasn't actually on stage that much because I played a fairy godmother. So I, I was dressed fully as a fairy godmother, but I had my laptop backstage and any time I wasn't on stage, I was working Hey Lemonade. But it also meant that then we, you know, because it was too hard for me to zip home in between shows and see my family, I then had some set time between shows and we were on the similar schedule. So it worked quite well. Um, and we do just work. We don't tend to take weekends really. Like I try to take it, my, it's a, that's a constant trying to balance, you know, being a good mum and a wife and that sort of thing as well. But Chris is really supportive and understands that most weekends we do work some of the weekend. But it does mean that we end up working 40, 50, 60 hours a week on Hey Lemonade and then finding the time to work on Mamma Mia or Midnight or... Or your family or... Yeah. Work on my family. No, but you know what I mean? Like, I'll I'll be at the show, Luce will be doing childcare. Like, that is a job. That's a full-time job that she's doing, you know? Like, so I think we also just have to look at those things and just acknowledge that... (laughs) And and I I try to, because at times I have thought, particularly when I was doing Midnight, because I was working so much on Hey Lemonade and Midnight, I did think, "Mm, this is getting out of whack. I'm not, I'm not around my family enough. But I I started colour coordinating our Durek Causey family planner. And so Hey Lemonade is yellow. Uh, My work outside Hey Lemonade is purple. My family, Polly's pink, Teddy's green, Chris's blue. And so then I can kind of see that they're my priorities. And so if it's coloured in a different way in my week, I can be like, okay, cool. That's fine. Like some weeks we are, you know, we are flying crazy doing, we've just, you know, onboarded heaps of different schools. And Elise and I've been in a car driving between Kayama to Campbelltown to everywhere and onboarding it. And and that's fine. So long as I'm then I'm just aware that that week is a much bigger Hey Lemonade week and I'll probably need to shift that 
you know, just be aware of that so that the following week I'll spend a little bit more time doing something with my daughter or my son or my husband or something. We do, we are highly scheduled is what I would say as an answer. Like every, we are highly scheduled. And colour coordinated. Like yes. that's a good tip. Colour coordinate your week so you can see if it's in the, if it's the right range of colours, then yeah. things are good. If it's a rainbow <laughs> week, then wow, things it's, are kind perfect. of balanced. <laughs> and I kind of do a similar thing, but not so much, well, I do do it with colour, but also like I tend to have like a master doc where I can see like, okay, so this is producing stuff that like, this is the writer's room we're doing. This is Mamma Mia. This is Hey Lemonade. This is Social Life. And same thing. So you can kind of just visualise if everything's in lists, but in one place, you can still similarly see where something's out of whack. And I, I guess like... The only thing that for me at the minute goes by the wayside is friendships. I, yeah. I am not not putting very much time into friendships because I just don't have the hours in the week. Yeah, and I, I was just thinking about how out of whack my life is and and um, and friendships are the things that go first for sure. I just... But I work um, with my friends, so... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We've got That's one. Right. I just want to wrap up with a couple of quick questions. One, what does success look like for you? Do you have what a vision for, yep, you'll be able to look at each other and say, we made it? Or are you a bit like a couple of other people that I know and there's always a new mountain to climb? A bit of both, I guess. We We definitely started with that of like, whatever happens, we've actually set out to do what we wanted to do. So we actually have succeeded. So wherever this goes from now is a bonus. But because we've put so much time and effort in, we would love to see some more success, which would, I guess, for us at this stage, look like being able to be have more reach, be able to be reach more students, more individuals, more just be of more use, which also I guess from, you know, a subject that most people probably think is crass to talk about, but would financially also reflect in terms of revenue so that then we were able to, I guess, reward ourselves a little bit for all the hard work we've done because for up to this point, you know, for a really long time, we didn't, we were the only ones that didn't get paid in the company because we were wanting to make sure everyone else was paid and we would not pay ourselves, even though we're working so many hours. And we then were like, no, we actually have to pay ourselves something because this is this is essential. But we're not paying ourselves what, you know, anyone would get paid in a in a major company or, or probably what? a man would even get paid, let's be honest. Uh, I, or okay, what we would get paid like on any give, other job. I feel like I need to give you the pep talk. Uh, <laughs> pay yourself more. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, um, yeah. I don't know, again, a male entrepreneur that would talk in the way you're talking. How successful would be, would be to have a successful financial business, right? And that is nothing to be That's ashamed of. That's a measure of success, yeah. Yeah, I think it's a, a measure of meeting a market need. And that means, you know, making a difference and having uh, an audience that it resonates with, which is in- incredibly satisfying. Are either of you still listening to Deepak or have you given up on Deepak now? I go in and out. I still listen to Deepak every now and again. <laughs> I actually don't listen to Deepak, but I do meditate, but I do like more transcendental meditation twice a day. Elise, Lucy, thank you so much for joining the Future Women Leadership Podcast. And uh, to anyone who hasn't downloaded the Hey Lemonade app, it is a partnership with Future Women and the Future Women Jobs Academy, which we greatly value. And that's because it is just awesome. So run, don't walk to uh, their app. And thank you for sharing a bit of your story today and some insights into leadership. Thank you for having us. Thank and you so much. Helen. Yeah, we're, it's an honour. We're such big fans of yours. We are. And we love Future Women. So thank you for letting us work with you guys. This podcast was recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to elders past and present. Executive producer is Jennifer Goggin. Series producer is Holly Mitchell. And audio imaging by Nat Marshall. 